heaviest hitter at tennis's biggest tournament has been the weather. Plus, we have a unique interview coming up that you're not going to hear anywhere else. It's Thursday, July 6th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter. It's good to be back. And this is Front Office Sports Today. Wimbledon is underway, but the elements are creating some unexpected drama. Joining me for the weather report is Front Office Sports Newsletter co-author David Rumsey. Welcome, David. Hey, Owen. How are you doing? I didn't realize that I was a weatherman uh, in my fortunes, but here we go. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you saw that in the job description, but uh, but yeah, we'll be you know giving you the meteorologist background. You can see the clouds coming in. Uh, so w- what's going on at Wimbledon? Right. So it began on Monday. And they had the largest attended day at Wimbledon since 2015, I believe. And then that was followed up on Tuesday by a complete washout. Pretty much every match that wasn't under a roof on center court or court number one was uh, postponed until Wednesday. Um, And that's just created a lot of uh, chaos, basically, as they try to complete first round matches as the day was going on on Wednesday. And then you have second round matches starting before some first round matches are starting. So off to uh, um, a bit of a chaotic start, but the All England uh, club, they'll figure it out. Right. And yeah, now things are, we're a little bit out of sync on Wednesday because they want the center court matches to be the center court matches. They want, you know, Djokovic and Alcaraz, the big names there. And so they're not going to compromise that even if the rest of the schedule is, you know, still catching up. Right, exactly. Those are the big names are the big draws that, People pay the big money for to sit in the boxes. I mean, you have the uh, royal family there. You have Roger Federer there wanting to see the, the big guns, right? Um, and, and the rest of the guys, they kind of figure it out. Maybe they make it their, their way to center court eventually. But that's where the TV money is. You know, it, the show goes on no matter what. Right. And I'm sure the TV money will be all the more appreciated this year because they've had to dish out some refunds, I understand. Yeah, small, but by comparison, I mean, the the purse this year, for example, I think is over $50 million uh, for the players in prize prize money. But uh, they they are issuing about $300,000 in refunds from the um, cancellations on Tuesday since fans bought tickets and didn't really get to see anything and had to go home because of the rain. Right. And there's also the fans who just show up and buy a ticket and they, I guess, what kind of situation were they in? I I mean, were they just kind of stranded in the rain? It's a weird thing that happens at Wimbledon. Uh, it's kind of famous. They call it the queue, and you can kind of line up and wait for tickets, um, ground tickets, here in the early days of the tournament when there's tons of matches going on throughout the All England Club. Um, and I think they had 12,000 people show up to, to wait in line on Monday, and it was just a chaotic situation, really long delays for, for getting people in. Um, Wimbledon issued an apology of sorts saying, you know, we're sorry we couldn't figure this out better. But, you know, the fans got in. So on Monday, at least they they might have had to wait, but they got to see some tennis. And then on Tuesday, not as many people came into that queue because they realized the weather was coming. And there's been one other type of interruption at Wimbledon, which is we've had some protests. Right. There's been lots of protests going on um, in British sporting events for uh, we won't really get into what's going on or why they're protesting. But they uh, ramped up security at Wimbledon ahead of the tournament to try to prevent some of this. And alas, here we are um, on one of those smaller courts on Wednesday. uh, Some protesters came in uh, during two different matches. Uh, A total of three people were uh, arrested and taken off the court. And, you know, thankfully nobody was hurt um, on either side. But yeah, a small delay. Um, These things happen. 
Yeah, absolutely. David Rumsey, thanks so much for the update. Thanks, Owen. Up next, I spoke to John Carrion, founder of The Throwdown, which is probably the world's biggest cornhole tournament. A lot of people we talk to on the show are living their dreams in one way or another, and that's equally true for John as it is for Eli Manning or Dame Lillard, to name a couple of recent guests. But for him, it's a very unique, charmed life. We'll have that conversation next. All right. I am joined now by John Carrion, founder and owner of the Throwdown Cornhole Tournament and restaurant Spencer McKenzie, which uh, where the, the Throwdown originated. So well, first of all, welcome, John. How's, how's it going? <laughs> going great. And sorry, I was uh, a little over eager to, to get into your story because it's a fascinating one. So you started this cornhole tournament out of your restaurant, and it has since grown to you know one of perhaps the largest in the world. So let, let's get the origin story here for starters. What uh, what inspired you to start this cornhole tournament? So um, started so I started my restaurant in two thousand and seven. Named it after my kids, and I was a, I'm a fisherman, so I always wanted to. For some reason, I always wanted a fish taco cart. So in my mid thirties, I started. Uh, I bought a trailer and started doing like almost kind of gourmet food in a sense. So back in 2007, there were not, there were not uh, like the whole LA gourmet food truck scene that didn't even exist. They were back then they were still roach coaches basically. Right. So I bought a trailer and started doing events, doing ceviche, seared ahi tacos and fish tacos with fresh fish and, um, and opened the restaurant in 2008 Started and I started off doing festivals like Coachella and Stagecoach. I did those for a lot of years, music festivals and fairs. And so, in 2010, I had a bunch of guys that would come in the restaurant and bands. And they, one of the guys said, "Hey, you should block the street off and do a like an old school in beach communities back in the 60s. They would just block off a street and have bands and have like a you know a party, you know, and, and barbecue in the summer, block party. So. He said, this is a great way for you to bring exposure to the restaurant. We were just getting started and and then, you know, like customer appreciation. So I blocked the street off. We had bands all weekend and it was great. And uh, so I, but I thought and something else has to happen during the day. You just can't have bands from 10 in the morning till 10 at night, two days in a row. You have to get permits and have police officers and it costs money. So we, uh, so I decided to do a cornhole tournament. Um, I was going to do horseshoes and my friend's like, that's a lot of work. Why don't you do cornhole, which we had played at the lake and nobody really knew what cornhole was. A friend of mine's dad was from the East coast and they made their own boards. They made their own bags out of Levi's. And so we had a 32 team tournament in 2011, sold it out. Everybody had a blast. So the following year we had a 64 team tournament and, um, just timing for me, essentially, I'm pretty would say that for the most part, I pretty much brought cornhole to the West Coast. I don't that I know of back in 2011, there weren't organized tournaments going on. It grew really rapidly to 2013, 14, more money in the tournament, people coming from out of state. And it just by 2015, it evolved to guys coming from all over the country to play in this tournament. Um, so 
that's kind of the origin the origin of it from the beginning. What's the sort of more competitive, you know, perhaps even professional side to this, you know, super casual drinking lawn game? Well, the great so the really the magical thing about this, like I said, timing is that in the very beginning, you know, it was for fun. Um, and as Cornell started evolving 2013, 14, more competitive, people playing playing for more on a serious level, we started having guys come from across the country to my event that were in a sense, for lack of better words, a, a, a pro, right? A professional. My goal from the beginning, once I started evolving, it was doing Coachella Music Festival and Stagecoach and that what I saw was as it got more serious that this wasn't just a Cornell tournament. This is a festival. That's a spectator sport. So people, they could come watch, they could play, they can, they can play against a guy that's on a much higher level. Someone that just plays at the lake and has fun. And that's, that's what's so, so cool about this. Now it's gotten to the point where there are guys that, that basically are professional Cornell players and they, there's all levels. And there's, there's kids that are 10 years old that, can that are beaten you know adults or five five years old for that for that matter right so it, it's amazing what cornhole has become you know it's like you're saying it, it's everywhere you go it, a birthday party the beach a restaurant a brewery a school function um people are playing cornhole it's a phenomenon yeah and it really is a sport where you could imagine like being one of the, you know, being a, a great player, um, kind of in, you know, however old you are, as long as you can throw a beanbag, you know, like basically like, yeah, like something like 10 yards um, with accuracy. That's what it takes. That's kind of the whole thing. Um, and, and yeah, you, you mentioned that there's this, some of this is on TV. The throwdown is now televised by ESPN. Uh, so how did that happen? Well, so I've wanted that for a long time. I always, I visualize this, you know, going back to, I always, I would refer this to like Cachilla. So I was always intrigued when I was doing food at Cachilla about how it was an experience, not just a concert. And then, you know, in, you know, at one point Cachilla sold out their festival without even announcing a lineup who sells out a music festival and no one knows who's going to play. They just want a ticket. I always said that about what I was building with the, with the Cornell festival was that there's only so many spots to play in it. It doesn't, it's not about if you're going to be able to win it and you're the best and you're a pro it's about there's 200, 200 teams allowed to be in this tournament. I want one of the spots cause it's a great time. It's fun. It's inexpensive. It, but it also pays really deep, which is very intriguing to people so that the payout um, you get, you get seated and you get put into an a bracket, a B bracket, a C bracket. You could be just an average player get put into the B bracket and come in 30th place and win money. So it plays really deep. It's not just the first year. There's, there's $300,000 in prize money total. But in the A bracket, guys are winning $3,000 in, you know, 30th place. And and there's a lot of, you know, and there's guys that are just, it could be a guy that's just like me or you that's gotten pretty decent, that's pretty good at it, that plays for fun, that has a chance to do that. So that's pretty that's pretty amazing. So, um, I always wanted to try to get it on ESPN. I thought it was something was fit for ESPN. Um, I connected with the American, the ACL, which is American Cornhole League. 
they started they started existing in about 2015 and that is the ACL is who everything you see on ESPN and TV that's the ACL they have they have pros they have uh you know leagues all across the country then they then they have you know pros that are playing on television they have contracts with different various television outlets so they run my tournament now um, and they do an excellent job. And so we kind of collaborated together and then they were able to help me get it televised on ESPN. Very cool. I'm going to give you a few lightning round questions here um, uh, before we wrap up. All right. You're drafting a cornhole team with one man and one woman for your number one overall picks. <laughs> well, I can't say that because that's biased. And I'm oh, friends okay. with all yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's I, fair. And, that's I, fair. And, I, and then I'm the promoter. So I can tell you this. If it, it's one thing that you probably want to touch on in this interview is what the main thing in cornhole nowadays is bags, right? So you get boards. There's lots of great boards out there. And there's lots of manufacturers that make boards. But the biggest thing in cornhole is people collect bags. And there's all these bag companies. And a lot of these bag companies sponsor pros, right? So if I were to ask one of the bag companies, they're, they're going to say their pro is going to win, right? And so, we, so we've got, we've got um, 17 bag companies this year. Now they're certified. And and pretty much all of those bad companies have a really great player representing their brand. So that's what's become exciting about this. It's not just who's going to win; it's whose bag's going to win, right? That's that's pretty exciting. Like, is it going to you know which manufacturer's bag is going to be the winner? And it might even be a guy that's not on their pro staff that wins with their bag. So, well, kind of along those lines. My next question was: favorite moment you have witnessed at a cornhole tournament? Favorite moment. So. I would say one of the best moments was in 2000, I think maybe 17 or 18. That year we had an A and a B bracket. We had guys come from all over the country and people were sandbagging that year because the prize money in the B bracket was pretty high. So guys thought, well, if I sandbag and I don't make it to the A bracket. So the way it works is it's groups of eight. You play eight games on Saturday and then the top four in your group go to the A bracket. The middle four go to your B bracket back then. Now we have three brackets. But some guys that just won a giant tournament in Florida, they um, were definitely high-level players. They ended up in the B bracket on purpose because they thought, we're just going to go take that 4000 bucks, right? A guy, local guy had just started playing, Jesse Segovia, who runs Santa Paula Cornhole League. He had just started playing that year maybe. I watched him get better that weekend. Like literally I watched him like go from minor B baseball to high school baseball in a matter of the weekend, they got to the final game and they had to double dip that team. They double dipped that team and beat them. And this is a, this is a team that just won a major event in Florida. And these are two guys that just started playing within the last year and the crowd, and we had that year was like a year where it really became a spectator sport. The street was packed with hundreds of people cheering, and they won like five grand that that year. So that's probably that's what's fun about this is it's 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 entertaining. There's no doubt it's entertaining. Just to throw a bit of a curveball here, you're also a competitive fisherman. Uh, what's a great experience you've had doing that? Uh, well, so I bat, so I'm a I. I'm a bass fisherman. I fish bass tournaments. Um, and just like, you know, small level, like just small level, they call it pro, but you know, anybody can fish it. So I think the circuit I fish, it's a team circuit. Three years ago, our, they, 
our tournament of champions, which is the final tournament of the year, which is the biggest one for us. I fished solo because my partner couldn't make it. And I won the tournament by myself against all the other teams. So that was, that was probably my, that was my best moment for me. All right. Fantastic. I also saw that uh, the throwdown this year has a vintage car show attached to it. Are you a vintage car guy? I am. So I, uh, I have always wanted a 1971 Bronco since high school. That's what my dad had when I was a kid. And I just finally got one. And so now that um, we have outgrown the spaces we had, the tournament's gotten so large. So this year we have uh, 1,280 teams. That's 2,500 players in the tournament. Last year, we used a venue in the parking lot of the fairgrounds, which is the whole parking lot, basically. This year, I rented the whole entire fairgrounds, the county fairgrounds. We have 1,280 players. I added a campground and then I added a car show, um, large car show with 1960 to 1980s Chevy Blazer, C10 trucks, square body trucks, early Broncos. And that event is actually going to be the size of the Cornell tournament, it takes up half the fairground. So it's a major, major car show. Um, a local dealership, Crown Dodge, has a classic car division that they, they've got this huge portfolio of classic cars that they sell, they're, they're going to fill up one of the major annex buildings with like 50, 60 of their, their vintage trucks and blazers and Broncos that are for sales. That's a showpiece, right? So pretty, like I said, it's a festival. It's about coming and drinking a beer, bringing the family, bringing the kids, watching cornhole, playing cornhole, car show. It's, it's very unique. Yes. Yeah. All right. John Carrion, living the dream. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. All right. Thank you. That's it for today. Big shout out to my colleagues who filled in while I was out. They did a fantastic job. Hit that subscribe button. We have great stories and interviews coming at you every weekday. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.